comes move us, teach us, and most importantly, reveal to us the pressing matters in our collective consciousness. With this in mind, and for the first episode of Philosophers at Cinema, we explore the most interesting and important questions raised by one of John Waters' noteworthy films, his 1988 Hairspray. For the first part of this episode, we sit down with KC film critic Lenita Cook to discuss the nature of film criticism, what movies do for us, and of course, all things Hairspray. As a series presented by Lawrence Talks, Inc., Philosophers at the Cinema is brought to you in part thanks to our partners at the Hall Center for the Humanities, College for Liberal Arts and Sciences, KU Philosophy Department, and our newest partner, Douglas County Casa. And for this episode, the Lawrence Arts Center's Free State Festival. You can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and online at lawrencetalks.org. And with that... One thing, I guess, kind of getting more into our conversation today, yes. it's, and that we, you sort of touched on it on already a little bit, but I kind of want to look, you know, speak about it more directly is what do you take to be the role of a film critic? Ooh, of a film critic. So yeah. for me, um, I think a film critic, uh, like movies, do a number of things. We do a variety of things. For me, my favorite position is liaison. I see the film critic as the liaison between the artist and the audience. Um, it is our job to be well-prepared, be knowledgeable about movies, be well-experienced in movies uh, and culture and life and, and the world, and be able to interpret a piece of art for you as a consumer to um, help you orient yourself, see if this is something you'd want to see. Uh, if you do decide this sounds good, what might my, my experience be? Is it worth your $40? You know, it's, it's, um, and so that's how I see our role as film critics. I think that we are a significant piece of the entertainment process. And so do you see as part of it being a liaison, how do you allow yourself to also make a, a judgment about, you know, the quality of the film with also trying to uh, tell the uh, audience member uh, or the moviegoer that, well, maybe you should decide for yourself on this one. Sure. So I like to say, this is what I think. There's a lot that goes into it because in the beginning, you're mostly opinion, right? right. You're like, I saw this movie and this <laughs> is what I think and you should think it too, you know? <laughs> um, but then after you become a more experienced critic, interpretation, I think, is more what you do. Mm. Um I think that's a, a, a more objective place to come from. And I think that with anybody, particularly your audience, it's going to resist what you're saying if you tell them what to think, if you tell them mm. what to do. The same is true for your children, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> your audience is is going to be the same way if you try to tell them. So you 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 know, I give them options, you know. You could see this, you could see this. This is what I think will happen for you if you do, if you're this kind of person. That's one thing that I love to do. I like critics who are focused and specific and who say, this is what it is. I am not that kind of critic. I like to say, hey, if you are conservative, you might see it like this. Mm -hmm. I like to say, hey, if you're ultra wild and liberal <laughs> and you're out there, <laughs> you might have this experience with this movie. I like to see the world from multiple perspectives and I like to address people where they are. 
So I think that if you're a mom with little children, you're going to have a different experience with this movie than if you're a mom with grown kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I try to address people where they are. And how does that experience as a film critic or how do you what, or what's the difference between how you see a film or view a film when you're critiquing it versus when you're just going on a casual movie going out, outing? Well, is there, is there a difference? Uh, no, okay. <laughs> sometimes uh, we were talking about ridiculous sticks. A yeah. movie like that is just my turn my brain off and just mm. laugh and be shocked. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you said that. Um, that is wrong. And oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, sometimes I like to have that experience. And I understand that there are audiences who like to have that experience. Not every movie has to be nomad land or, you know, something highbrow, something so produced. Sometimes it can be what we might consider awful, and I'm putting quotes up, awful, mm -hmm. and still be enjoyable. And, and I like what some people have decided are bad movies sometimes. So in that regard, there is a difference, right? But usually... I'm highly critical. That's why I'm a critic. I'm just yeah. naturally <laughs> a critical viewer. And I think critics who have a background in some area of entertainment as actors or writers or producers or some other area that um, emboldens our ability to critique. And, and, and so the more experienced I become, the more analytical <laughs> I become uh, of the work that I view, yeah. And how much is the part, I imagine part of your, not development, but the, the way you approach uh, critiquing, part of it is looking at, you know, what has the director said about it? What have they said about their approach to making the film? How much does that influence the way you you critique it? It, it, it does not. I will see a movie. I, I will see a trailer to see if I'm interested. And that is it. I don't look at comments. I don't mm. look at other reviews. I don't look at the website, which can be a disadvantage. But I want to experience the movie the way the audience experiences the movie. I always say to this question, I actually like to experience it the way I did as a, a, as a kid. Mm. when I would come home from Sunday school and my grandma would be like, hey, put your coats on. We're about to go to the movie. And it's like, yay, we have no idea what we're going to go see. We're just hopping in the car. We're going to the theater and we go have this amazing adventure. We let a storyteller just take over our lives, ourselves. And that's how I like to experience movies now. There are moviegoers who like to do all the research. I'm not one of them. I like to trust that I'm going to have a journey and I'm going to be moved and I'm going to have an emotional and intellectual experience. And, and then I like to report on that. I like to respond to it and report on it. Yeah. I find it for the longest time, I've found, I've found it hard to turn off that part of my brain to when watching, watching a movie, even because we mentioned before uh, uh, in the lead up to this uh movies like fast and furious action movies like you you tend to think that you know you turn your brain off for those that, that's those are sort of the films that you're just watching for entertainment's sake um don't read too much into it don't uh like obviously the dialogue is not going to be that great if there's dialogue at all 
I have to disagree with you just a little bit okay. on on the idea that there's not a critical space in a movie that's pure entertainment. Mm. Something like John Wick, where the premise was simple, um, where the inciting incident is simple. You kill my puppy. Mm-hmm. I'm coming for you. <laughs> and, then, you know, it it, it, it opened itself to so many things, to um, memory. I mean, it, it became one of the hottest memes, but then it opened itself to just this pure action, choreography, gunplay, hand to hand. And it, it's it's like this, this pop, 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 pop. So it got something for those people who like the video game stuff, people like me who like to see you grapple like mm-hmm. it's it's just a beautifully artistic movie uh and and its artistry rests i think in its simplicity yeah no agreed and, and uh we don't disagree because that's actually where i was kind of wanting to go is that you you can still critique these movies you can still there's a there's a space for for criticism and i think not all action movies are the same uh like you you got john wick movies versus uh die hard the Die Hard saga, it's yes. they're they're totally different, and I think one is is better than than the other. Um, so it's not a a totally turn your brain off sort of situation. I think. Yeah, like and and to that point, and now I'll, I'll let you finish. I apologize. No, is okay. is this this idea that a movie, since you mentioned Die Hard, it has affected um, not just popular culture because mm-hmm. now we have this crazed action movie that's you know a dude in a in a (laughs) building with you know a heist and it's a christmas movie like what (laughs) you know um and but it's 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 addressing the industry but it's also addressing larger culture so it's doing these two incredible things at once and it's 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 something that you know a movie that we talk about years later i think it came out in 1988 which is the same year um, as the movie we're talking about today. So. Yes, I, I guess in your in your time in in uh, as a film critic, have you noticed a sort of difference or an evolution or change in uh, what people expect from the movie going experience? Hmm. Hmm. The expectation of the audience. I don't think so. Okay. I think the the reasons we sit at the feet of the griot has not changed since antiquity. I think we intend to be moved. Mm. And that is the human reason why we go to the movies, right? You might have your individual tastes, you might like the, the sweeping, historical drama or you might like that no brains comedy or you might like that high octane action piece right um but really what you want is to be moved is to let someone else let you know that you are right you just are and that's what stories do for us and that's why we go yeah yeah no i i agree in because I love the whole movie going experience. Uh, the, even the even the 
the parts of the moving going experience that people often complain about the people with their phones on or their that that ring every now and then coughing person behind you i love the whole sort of experience the the downfall is how expensive it is but at the same time there's if there's any moment to get in to get that feeling of being part of a community of being part of a shared experience it's the moving going movie going experience to feel that again i think hopefully people one of the i guess one of the concerns about after you know post pandemic experiences is that people have calculated about whether going to the movies is really worth uh, the money. And if, if you had to at least make a, an argument or a plea to why the movie going experience is so important to us as, as a community, as a society, as, as human beings, what, what would you say to, to listeners? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, one, I, I would first apologize for not being able to go. The first movie that I saw in the, the theaters uh, post-pandemic was Tenet. We, mm-hmm. uh, we got an event screening and we got to go to the theater and I cried. And I said, please don't let this go away. Just the experience of getting in the car, driving to the building, walking through those doors and those ropes guiding you through and then the smell of that buttered popcorn and then walking into that dark theater and the lights going down and you you cannot let this go away from us this is a part of who we are um and and even if we have an individual experience with movies that is powerful and we do and movies are meant to do that as well there is nothing like the group mind nothing like it where we laugh at once where we cry together and so i think that we should work to preserve it because um it is a part of the light of our being our social being our communal being so um that that would be what i the only thing i could say is is it's it makes us better movie going. I agree. Um, and, and so getting into, uh, you know, a film, you know, part of our, the other part of our conversation and our, our uh, the part of this episode today is uh, a discussion about John Waters, 1988 Hairspray. Uh, yes. This is, this is a film that's also going to be shown at this year's Free State Festival. One of John Waters' greatest films. I mean, he has a, he has a, Plenty of, plenty of other films that haven't made it into the mainstream. This is just one of them. Uh, the other one is, uh, one other one is, one of my favorites is Crybaby with Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, Ricky Lake, Tracy Lords, right? Yeah, that's, it's a, <laughs> it was a good film. Uh, and yeah, I, but I, it wasn't until I was kind of researching for this that I realized that it was a John Waters film. I, I, so before I didn't, I didn't realize that. Um, if it wasn't, it was a rip. You're glad it is because yeah. <laughs> you can identify his style and, and cry baby. Absolutely. Yes, yes you can. Um, and so, so getting to Hairspray uh, opened up nationally February 26, 1988, a year before I was born. Uh, I'm not sure if that's any significance, but it is to me. Um, and, but it opened uh, in, in the city of Baltimore on February 12th. What can Lenita, what can you tell us about, uh, about this film? Just sort of a pre- impressions sort of okay so this is what i had to say about 
hairspray. In 1963, Tracy Turnblad is a plump, sexy little thing in the midst of self-discovery. It is on the Corny Collins popular televised dance show that she mashed potatoes with romance and shakes a tail feather with the cruelties and pleasures of social life. John Waters' 1988 Hairspray stars Ricky Lake, Divine, Michael St. Gerard, Debbie Harry, Jerry Stiller, and Sonny Bono. It's an abstract gaze upon the racial turmoil and groovy tunes of the decade of love, the 1960s. Its popularity is strongly rooted in its being of its time. Hairspray opens up ideas and dialogue around surrealist art, race, gender, and authority. 1988 is when hip hop was king, and Michael Jackson was the king of pop. This was a time of real transformation. We're talking everyone from George Michael to Guns N' Roses to Enya. There's just a lot going on in that era and hairspray. It was primed. Perfect. It's nice that you situated it in, with all that sort of goings on because 60s and 70s, also very good music, uh, especially for, you know, you had The Temptations, you have Diana Ross, you have all these other great R&B uh, artists and just love that, yeah. you, love that you situated it, with. I was going to say, I grew up on all of that music, honey. And yeah. I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to say that when Hairspray came out, I was not just born. <laughs> I, was, I had been around for a while and I watched that movie over and over and over as a piece of forming my own worldview. And so when you when you invited me to talk about this movie, I was like, absolutely, absolutely. It's great that the saw it as before you became a critic and that and, and I assume you've seen it after becoming a critic. Was there a difference in, in how you uh, approach the film and how, what you came away from the film? That's a that's a difficult question because I will say um, I, when I watched it as an adult, I still experienced it um, as a as a viewer, you know, because I was like, this is my childhood, <laughs> you know. Um, but I was, I will say, like, uh, what was my mama letting me watch? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, yes. <laughs> um, the the thing that I I had a different experience was. Um, I was very innocent, um, rose-colored glasses kind of person for a very long time, much further into my adult years than than I would, I probably shouldn't admit to. But um, there is a there is an innocence that I, you know, engaged with the world for for a long time. Um, watching it now, I'm a little bit uh, a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say jaded because I, I don't think I'm jaded, but I am a, a lot more aware mm -hmm. of the world and the ways that I think about race um, and being and who has the authority to tell what stories um, and when we tell this, these stories, what are we actually saying? Those things are absolutely different than when I was a kid. Um, when I, and, and, pointedly different, not just because I was unaware, but when I was a kid, I was very, we are the world. I mean, I bought in to that. Um, I believed it wholeheartedly. Um, I believed that um, the dream of 
of what was called integration back then, and we call it inclusion now, mm-hmm. um, was was real. Um, now I'm not so sure. Yeah, I, I think you the way that you that last comment about uh, integration then and inclusion now, because to me the, the film really brought to the fore that the sort of social issues that we're talking about today they've been around. They haven't. They haven't really uh, gone anywhere. They haven't really um, changed all that much. Uh, but maybe the way that we talk about them and the way that the, maybe the language and the words that we use are different. Um, so this film really, at least re- when I saw it recently, um, again, it really brought to the fore that it uh, that some of these issues that we're going through today were, have been around for plenty of of years. That that so what's what's seems new or appears new today is, is, is really, is really not. That's, uh, that's in part what, what, uh, hairspray, I mean, obviously I've always known that, but, um, I think hairspray hopefully brings that to the fore that it's a, it's, it was released in the 88, but it's talking about 1962 or 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you can also look forward, uh, to, to, to today and say that, look, Topics that we're that we're grappling with today have people want to say that oh these are new these are new issues these are new concerns they are not. Yeah, the the thing that is new is that the the generation, right. um, but these are issues that we are passing down gener- generation to generation, um, and and I think what hairspray has done for me since I watched it I watched it very recently for this um, has made me really consider my position on integration. Um, I think that if you are um, an integrationalist, if that's a word, um, you know, more power, and I appreciate that. And I I actually genuinely appreciate that. Um, But as one of, you know, the way that I, I, I saw this and thinking about what John Waters may have been thinking when he wrote Hairspray, he didn't just direct it, but he also wrote it, right. um, that, that these are adult desires. These are adult dreams, the idea of integration. But when it was implemented, it was the children. And my generation was, we were those children who were bused to the white schools. And so we had to experience the implementation of the dream. And so I think in that, it makes us the authority on whether integration um, is really a good idea or not, and I think I I think it's questionable. And and what was the in terms of because right there there seems to be a disconnect between uh, right theory about what good integration would have done or would have meant at the time, and then the actual implement implementation of it. What for you was the sort of disconnect between? Uh, theory in the actual implementation? Ooh, that's a big, 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 big. I don't know <laughs> if we got time or room in this chat to really get to it, but I will say that it, it, it's rooted in the difference between the hope of what it will be and the reality of what it will be. And uh, if we are not ever going to address the consumption of the institution, and I mean the larger institution, 
um, and what it does when we engage anything with it, then we're never going to be able to get between hope and reality. We're never going to be able to bring those two things together. Um, it's it's it, the inclusion that we're working for now is going to have the same result mm -hmm. if we can never understand the consumption of the institution and and how it masticates um, it, what we think, what we dream, what we hope. It, I think it comes from a pure place, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to address um, and I, and I, maybe I shouldn't use this word, but how it how hope and how dream, um, when it's moved from the imagination, when it's moved out of the heart, how it can be corrupted when it comes into the real world. Uh, if we cannot look at that, really look at it um, and say, we don't just want an evolution of a, of, of a thing, because like you said, it doesn't seem like anything's changed. Well, things have evolved, right. but they haven't change their their core or their dna right and if we can't get to that ooh, we're in trouble we're gonna repeat 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 you know yeah so it remains on the surface there seems to be change but when we don't get to the core that surface is eventually going to uh be washed away and and crumble to a a, a center that hasn't been addressed uh completely so yeah hope is great uh and yes. it, it's what feeds it's what feeds these movements um but i think and this is getting a little bit away from the uh from our discussion about the movie but uh i think it's important point to make and i think it it uh, hopefully and it, it is it is about the film in general because the film is about this hope of of uh accepting others for who they are rather than uh by their by their race or by their appearance, um, if we don't address the hard work that needs to be done uh, at the sort of the core of humanity level, um, everything else, the policies, the laws, they're not going to do the work that we think they're going to do um, if we don't, as you said, address that, uh, move, move from that hope to actually doing the practical uh, hard work of, uh, of actually changing minds, of actually changing my minds and hearts. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I think that's because I that that was one of the uh, not criticisms, but one of the things that was said about you know the point of view that hairspray is bringing to the fort for there, the hope of uh, of bringing about this change. But, I think it's a I think it's a movie that is um, like I said of its time in, in 1988, like we had been raised on, you know, the Cosby's and Coke, their mantra then was, their slogan then was have a Coke and a smile. It makes you feel good. I like to see the whole world smiling, give me have a Coke and a smile. Like it was like we were sold togetherness. We watched mm -hmm. Michael Jackson moonwalk and we thought, oh my gosh, the world has changed, you know, it, it really was. And we are the world, all of those different artists coming together in one accord. It, my generation, we drank it up. We are the result of that messaging. And so something like Hairspray is exactly where it would be successful.
I don't know that this exact movie, if released today, would have the same impact, social or critical impact. And so I think that it was able to do what it was able to do because it it, it came out in its in its rightful time. Yeah, and it was remade. And for full disclosure, I haven't seen the remake. I don't know if you mm. did. Um, but it, it's... I saw it when it came out. We don't have to talk about it. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was my impression as well. It, it yeah, for a number of reasons, it it didn't seem like yes. it would, it would live up to the original uh, to the original. So yeah, I think because you answered the the other question I was going to have was was uh, situating it or to other films in the eighties and nineties. You said it was perfect kind of perfect for its time. Why is that the case? What other, what other, what else is going on in terms of cinema? Oh gosh. What like like I said, when you have a movie like Die Hard, like all of the elements that came together to make Die Hard, that was a massive experiment. Huh? You know, <laughs> but we were ready for it. Beetlejuice, I think came out the same year. Um are you kidding me? Like we're shrinking heads on screen. We're like, and this is not a horror movie. This is a full-fledged comedy that has music and ghosts and death and t- t- like teenage uh, depression and all of these things in it. It, it just, the 80s, I think, um, what, it was a real cinematic renaissance. And so I, I think that it, you could have done just about anything, you know, this, this idea that John Waters himself um, was, was like Dada, right? This mm-hmm. kind of, but I still, yes, yes. I really don't know that if the movie had come out in the era that, that influences the movie that it would have been as successful. I think the eighties was a time, um, and uh, obviously yes, because of the the, the previous decades, the seventies, sixties, and so on and so forth, right? But the eighties just was a time of great shift in in cinema. It just, I don't know, maybe yeah. <laughs> because I was, I came of age watching movies in the eighties. Um, but when you think about all of the movies. E.T., like, are you serious? This pie-faced alien comes down, you know, and hides out in these kids' closet. Like, what is everybody thinking? So it, it was just really of, of that time, yeah. So hopefully, yeah, another thing that people come away with this is, is that uh, 80s films worth diving into, worth exploring a bit more. And generally speaking, going through any era and tracking development of film during during a particular decade is worthwhile. And so what do you think the, a moviegoer might miss out on this film if they approach it casually, like for pure entertainment's sake? Ooh, it depends on the audience member. Again, mm-hmm. I like to think about because I, I'm I'm watching this and I was like, how old was I in 1988? Why was my mama letting me watch this? You know, because it was it was um, innocent enough, but there were some things. Um, John Waters makes an appearance in the film, yeah. and he makes an appearance as a, a psychiatrist who is reforming. Uh, uh, what was her name? Was it Penny? And and she's fallen in love with Seaweed, one of the black boys, and he is reforming her. Dr. 
Fredrickson, he's a psychiatrist, and he's going to make you all better. Feeling depressed, Penny? Want to talk about it? The wheel. Think of all the white boys in school and how much you like today one. And everything he's doing, he's just popping up on her with all of these tools, shock therapy, you know, all, a lot of, you know, hypnosis. And and he's like, no black boys, only white boys. I mean, like and 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 so there's a lot being done. There's a lot being said, but it's it's disguised in the humor and the surrealism, um, the 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 style that John Waters uses is effective, but it's also cloaking it, because these are very serious things. Um, and so if you can't look at the movie uh, with a critical eye, which I didn't do as a child, I loved it for the music and mm-hmm. I wanna move my body like that mm-hmm. too. And, you know, um, but as an adult, you're able to see all of the pieces that he's putting together and he's very meticulous. So, um, yeah. No, yeah. I, again, agreed that this isn't even, even, you know, if you do put on that, that critical hat a little bit, it's important to, I guess, as you just mentioned that it's not just a film about race. It's not just, it's a, it's also a film about, um, image, body image. Yes. Uh, yes. It's a film of, as you mentioned about uh, the sort of ideas that were coming out of mental health uh, yes. in, in that time. And, and just how, I guess, psychiatry, just because you just mentioned shock therapy and hypnosis. And these are actual means that people thought were best to uh, change behavior or reform behavior. And so, yeah, there's, we do and we don't want to ruin the movie for people. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it, it is important to, uh, at some point, see, you can see the movie for entertainment's sake. But at the same time, it, it, at one point, you need to recognize that it's saying a little bit more than, um, hey, this is Absolutely. The, 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 the fact, this, there was another thing that I didn't realize, and it, it was, it became obvious to me with the sequel. Um, when they cast John Travolta as her mother, I was like, what? Why would they do this? Why are they mm-hmm. doing this? I did not realize as a girl that Divine was a man. Right. And and so then we're talking about these very calculated um, demonstrations of bending our ideas about gender and who is who in, in social order, right? Um, and And me, I consider myself, even though I may not, use the right language or whatever is going on, everything changes so rapidly. I consider myself somebody who thinks that big women are beautiful. Uh, The way that that fine, sexy dude was kissing Ricky Lake down in the movie, it it normalized it for me Mm -hmm. that big women are attractive and deserve uh, someone to, to want them to to yearn for them like anyone else. And so this is something that that conditioned me. And um, the, the ways that I think about men in dresses is normal to me because of things like hairspray. And so what John Waters actually did was very smart, very smart. And to wrap it in humor, I mean, it was it was a part of 
of a, a type of film that was kind of storytelling with humor, but address like that's not new, but it's still smart. And that that's his way. I, I absolutely appreciate that. And then if I can address another one of your questions really quick, yep. what are movies meant to do? This is the chief purpose of movies. And I don't think we talk about it enough is that movies are one of the primary ways by which we are conditioned. Movies are made to sell us ideas, to message to us. Themes are just messages. And movies, when we watch movies, we, our minds are, are molded. They are changed, they are, right? And so movies um, are one of the, the realest ways by which we are governed. Awesome. If there was ever a soundbite to take away, it would be, it'd be that one. Anita, as a final sort of question and, and a sort of wrapping up of, of uh, our, our discussion over Hairspray, as a film critic and generally as a, as a moviegoer, what should we take away from this conversation and from, and from the movie Hairspray? That's the difficult one. You come with the good, difficult questions, <laughs> don't you, David? <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> um, I think what I would like to see and I hope for is that if there is no place where we can be, where we are movable, right? If we are so set in our ways, we are so uh, clenching to why our ideals and our just all of the stuff, mm -hmm. you know, if there is no other place in your life where you can just let go and be open, um, let that place be when you go to movies. Mm, perfect. Well, Anita, thank you for joining me for this conversation. It's been, I, I think it's exceeded my, because uh, I'm, 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 I'm an optimist, but also a pessimist. I'm never sort of, never sure how things are going to go. But this uh, was really a great conversation. I, I hope you enjoyed being part of it. I definitely enjoyed uh, being part of it. And I hope people enjoy listening to it. I've had a blast. I thank you for bringing me. This is so much fun. And you are great at what you do. You actually ask <laughs> awesome questions. <laughs> thank you so much. And with that, uh, thank you all for listening to uh, this first episode of Philosophers at the Cinema. Uh, stay tuned for more and uh, enjoy the Free State Festival.